It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Well, I love 40s. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to episode number 629, I think. I think it's 629 of Locked On Raptors. It's been a while since we did one of these things. I'm, of course, your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked On Raptors. You can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And, of course, please make sure you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network, where we have team-focused shows for all 30 NBA teams. We've got you covered with the Locked On NBA shows, obviously. If your team is in the trade talks or whatever's going on around the league, make sure you're subscribing and listening to the daily local perspective on all of the big stories around the league. If you are a football fan and your team is going to the playoffs, they will be covered with one of our 32 NFL shows. The NHL season is ramping up here as well as we get closer to the All-Star break, so make sure you're checking out the corresponding NHL shows covering the teams that you like. About 27 teams covered off right now, so no shortage of shows for you to check out there. And please make sure you're subscribing to, rating, and reviewing all of the shows that you want to support on the network. It is very much appreciated when you take that small amount of time to do that. All right, on today's show, uh, we're back after a bit of a holiday layoff, and uh, I'm about 10 pounds heavier. I'm not sure about our, our guest today, but I'm joined by our pal Vivek Jacob to chat about uh, the two games over the weekend. The Celtics win, the big bounce-back win after the Christmas Day debacle, and then the narrow one-point loss to Hamilton's own Shea Gilgis-Alexander and the Oklahoma City Thunder on Sunday. Vivek, how are you, buddy? I'm good. I think I'm also a little bit heavier. Uh, today has been another Sunday, as every day seems to be after Christmas, uh, mm-hmm. right up until New Year's. Uh, I woke up for uh, to do radio at 8 a.m. Then I came. Uh, well, I went in studio at Sportsnet, and then I came back and I napped. And then I had breakfast about an hour ago. <laughs> Um, so that's how my day is going. Yeah, I've uh, just kind of given up on breakfast. I feel like every evening I'm eating just like a platter of cured meats. So I kind of am laying off the early morning food because, you know, why bother when I could just, you know, stuff my face later on in the day? Uh, that's how you can be healthy, right? Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> for sure is very good for me. Um, but yeah, I got woken up this morning by a fire alarm in my house. So they were Oh, that's the worst. Alarms. Yeah, they were testing the alarms, and it was a nightmare. So uh, that's my day. Sorry for no podcast uh, after the Christmas game last week. It, it was a bad game, and there was not much to talk about. And also, I would have just been breathing heavily on the microphone more than anything because of all the cured meats, as I mentioned. Uh, so we're back today. We're going to have a full week of shows and uh, excited to get things rolling here. And basically what we're going to do today is just talk about the weekend games. Boston, that wonderful, wonderful win where Kyle Lowry went nuts. And then yesterday against the Thunder, not so hot. Which game would you like to start with, Vivek? Would you like to start positively or negatively? Um, I would prefer to start chronologically. So we can start with the Boston game. 
Yeah, that works. Okay. Uh, yeah. So Boston game. I, w- I was thinking maybe we could start with the good news and the, or, or the bad news and then build up to the good news, but chronologically works too. Uh, the Raptors beat Boston Celtics. Was it one thirteen ninety seven in? Right up there is one of the most satisfying wins of the season, right alongside like the Lakers win and the Sixers win, I would think. Mm-hmm. Uh, a nice signature win for the team, severely lacking depth and bodies, and they somehow pulled it out and were kind of in control the entire way. Boston found little pockets of the game to pull it close, but the Raptors basically led wire to wire in this one, and that was really fun to see and kind of surprising, although maybe not all that surprising considering the resilience they've shown. But after the Christmas game where they just looked overmatched by the Celtics talent compared to their obvious lack of depth and talent with Siakam, Gasol, and Powell out, just a really, really great performance to see, especially Kyle Lowry bounce back in an enormous way and uh, just wipe the floor with the Celtics on their home court. Pretty awesome stuff. Um, what was your biggest takeaway from that game? I'm sure it's Kyle Lowry related. Uh, no, uh, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm gonna go with Patrick McCaw because he was incredible in that game. And I think, uh, you know, one of the things I find interesting about Patrick McCaw is at least the last few games, I feel like he's starting to grow into his sort of new role and maybe his understanding how he can fit this team. And I think back to when the Miami Heat were in Toronto and Eric Spolstra was asked about Duncan Robinson. Now, uh, Now, I'm not comparing them as players by any means. Uh, But when he was asked about Duncan Robinson, he said, you know, this has been a bit of a process for him to get to this point uh, because we've been trying to get his esteem to match his ability. Mm -hmm. And that's starting to get there now. And I feel like on some level, you know, when you're Patrick McCaw and you're with the Warriors and you're saying, oh, man, I got drafted by this You know, I'm in with this champion team. Uh, I'm going to prove myself. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And then you never, you know, you're stuck with injuries and you can never quite crack the rotation. And uh, then you come to Toronto and you're dealing with injuries again. You know, I I feel like that can hurt your confidence. And now it feels like having come back from injury, this is sort of a, a nice, consistent stretch of minutes that he's had to show what he can do. And I think he's growing into his role, and I think he's getting comfortable. And, uh, yeah, I think definitely getting him on ball, that's something he talked about, that that's what he's done all his life. So for Nick Nurse to get him more on ball where Fred and uh, Kyle are playing off him and he's able to find them uh, and create more outside shots for them, I think that is a big benefit to the, the offense as a whole. So, yeah, that was my biggest takeaway, to see that Patrick McCaw, you know, at least while uh, the injuries are hurting the team, uh, can actually be a serviceable starter. Yeah, that was uh, I, I, like pretty easily the best game McCaw's played as a Raptor, I would think. Uh, yeah. 18, 7, and 8, 8 of 12, 2 of 4 from 3, steal block. Uh, and as you mentioned, having the ball in his hands a little bit as sort of like the third point guard, I guess, with Fred and, and Kyle, kind of seems on the surface like kind of a bad idea because why not just have your two good point guards run the offense? Frankly, why not have Kyle run the offense every single time down because he's very good at it, but it kind of worked and it does work. And sort of the idea I think is sort of like a extreme dollar store version of what they used to do with DeMar, right? Where DeMar didn't have much off ball gravity. No one really cared to guard him away from the ball and he wasn't a particularly useful player away from the ball. But when you put him on there, you're sort of taking advantage of the one thing he really does super well, which is have the ball in his hands. 
And then you're freeing up your two best shooters to just fly around off screens and fly around and sort of cut and do the smart things that Kyle and Fred tend to do. And it, it seemed to work pretty well. So I, you know, bristled at the idea of Macaw, frankly, playing <laughs> for a while there. And then mm. bristled at the idea of him having the ball in his hands. But it seems to make a little bit of sense and freeze them up a little bit. And if you're going to open up the half-court offense without Siakam, Gasol, and Powell, you have to try weird stuff. And you can't go with the same predictable Lowry, you know, Abaka pick and roll time after time. You have to find other ways to make it work. And we know the struggles Fred has had at times as a pick and roll ball handler and finding space and, you know, connecting with his big. And if McCaw can show off a little bit of that ability and you can have Fred just be around the three-point arc and just have him bomb catch and shoot threes, that seems like a pretty good idea to me. So very nice to see McCaw play well. He was pretty good against the Thunder as well. Not as good, I guess, but he had a nice showing, I suppose. Patrick McCaw standards in mind. And we can dive into that more when we get into that game. But the, uh, the it was just a really nice, yeah, you're, you're totally right. That was as much as Kyle Lowry kicking ass in that game was the main takeaway for me. Mm-hmm. McCaw being a, a serviceable, useful rotation piece and maybe sort of showcasing what he could do down the line when they get some guys back and they need someone to run their bench units. That was really encouraging and nice to see. My takeaway was Kyle, though. I mean, holy God. (laughs) Just like, he kind of gets that look in his eye, right? And we're so used to it by now, and you kind of know exactly when it's coming, and you know uh, like exactly how the game is going to transpire when you see him have that sort of edge in in the early going of the game, and he had that from Jump Street against the Celtics. Uh, what did you think of Kyle's game? Because, I mean, he's had a lot of great games. He might have had his very best game against the Mavericks a week and a bit ago. That Celtics game, though, felt like one of the more emphatic Kyle Lowry fuck you games we've ever seen. Yeah, I thought Kyle was incredible. Um, It just seems to be par for the course for the last five years. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I, I, I think the biggest moment for me was in that fourth quarter, when OG fouls out and Rondé fouls out. And that seems to be, those are the situations where Kyle just seems to be at his best. And it's like, all right, you guys are going to play this game. I'm going to show you what I got too. And then he comes down, he's hitting threes. Uh, you know, he's getting the pick and roll, pulling back and stepping back and hitting shots. And um, just care of the team every time they need it. Because every, every time the Raptors made a run, the Celtics made a run back. And every time the Raptors just sort of needed that bucket to create that bit of separation again, it was Kyle who gave it to them. And it's pretty cool to see. I think if there's one uh, development that I think he's shown this season compared to last, uh, just from taking from the championship experience, I think he's a lot more confident in terms of closing out games, uh, closing out opponents, and sort of taking uh, control of the leash when, when he needs to. And just that uh, constant exuding of calm, which he talked about, you know, sort of learning from Kawhi, that not getting too high, not getting too low. And I think that is something that is also going to translate uh, down the line when we get to those big games in the playoffs. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. 
Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yeah, man. He's, uh, he's on one right now, and I think it's pretty much academic at this point that he's going to be an all-star, whether it's voted in or the coaches pick. And he seems like the most coach pick available for anybody to pick this year, considering sort of the exodus of talent from the conference. It's, he's, the, he's like the old hat guy now. So that's nice to see that he's sort of rebounded from the, I guess, the bit of the, the, the swoon he had when he got back and him and Ibaka were kind of figuring stuff out. Those two kind of carried the day offensively against the Celtics. That was great to see. Um, and my main takeaway, Kyle, like we didn't see anything new from him. It's just another reinforcement of the idea that every single second of Kyle Lowry should be appreciated because I'm glad that he's finally this season after all the, the crap he went through reputation wise with his playoff performances and whatnot over the years, like now with the ring on his finger, he can kind of flash that and sometimes literally flash that to, you know, idiot Pacers fans. Um, and <laughs> it seems like there's just like a whole new cachet with him. And it seems like people are finally buying in and getting in on the Kyle Lowry bandwagon, even though the hype train has been going for a very, very long time. It's nice to see sort of normies getting on on board as well. And that's great. And it's well-deserved and just soak it all up, man. Cause we don't know how much longer it's going to last. The fact that he's doing this at 33 at six foot is fucking bonkers to begin with. And uh, I'm just soaking it all up. Even if the 40 minutes a game he's playing might end up killing him. <laughs> it's uh, it's damn fun to watch right now. Um, I, I would just, I would just yeah, like so- to state for the record. Um, I, I do think Kyle Lowry is going to keep doing this for a little while. Um, yeah. I think, you know, when he says he's got, you know, three, four years left, like I fully buy into that. I think what he's done to take care of his body, um, over the last five plus years, I, I think he's got a great shot at playing at this level for it, at this level for maybe a couple more years and then still being, uh, extremely valuable for a couple of years after that. Uh, so yeah, I, I think there's quite a bit left on this rope. He's just so goddamn smart. Like, yeah, exactly. That's the biggest thing. Someone made the point. Might again. I think we might have talked about this last week, but like about how he's just so he's able to overcome his physical disadvantages just by being smarter than everybody else, and like just like tricking people into falling into weird spots where he find finds space to take shots. Like those little turnarounds from the left side are just money, and he always has just so much time and space to rise up and put them down. And it's it's a it's a marvel to watch. Soak it all up. Uh, also, a marvel to watch in the game against Boston. Our last note on this one was O'Shea Brissett, baby. Uh, I was doing play by play for Raptors nine hundred five on Saturday in the afternoon. O'Shea Brissett was not there. I was a little disappointed. I was hoping to get to see him. Obviously, with the injury, he's injuries. He's up with the team uh, pretty much full time at, at this point uh, for the next little while. You would think. And I was chatting with Jason Tom, my color man for that game, and we were just talking about O'Shea Brissett and how he's not been terribly impressive at, at the G League level. And I kind of went into the stretch of maybe seeing O'Shea Brissett minutes, kind of dreading them and not thinking he was really going to be able to offer all that much, considering he's not much of an offensive threat whatsoever. And his defense kind of comes and goes, and maybe he's more suited to zones and stuff like that. But Against the Celtics, he was great, 4-6-2, and two, and really came in to fill in for some foul trouble with Ronda Hellas-Jefferson and, uh, and OG. And I, I don't know, what were your thoughts on O'Shea Brissett? He blew my expectations out of the water with that performance uh, in his, I guess, 
real debut in actual meaningful NBA minutes. Yeah, I, I thought uh, Blake Murphy hit the nail on the head in terms of O'Shea is a role player guy. Even you know, with the nine oh five, he's not someone that's going to go down there and drop thirty on you. Um, mm. He has a very specific skill set, which is defense and rebounding. And so he was put into a situation where all he was asked to do was provide defense and rebound the heck out of the ball. And I think, again, you put a a player in a position to succeed, and uh, that's what you got out of O'Shea against Boston. And, yeah, I I thought the extra possessions that he got, the Raptors were huge. Um, Even the possessions where he was switched out, depending on the perimeter, that size, that length that he has, you know, that's the NBA prototype on the wing that you covet. And frankly, if, if he had a decent jumper, he'd probably be a 20 to 25 minute rotation guy in this league. Mm-hmm. He's kind of, he reminds me of like Reggie Evans a little bit, at least the, the small doses we've seen. Just like, you know, right. there's not much in the way of offense, but he's going to crash the glass. He's going to defend. He's going to provide energy and he's going to finish a couple times around the rim and those buckets are going to just be a damn bonus because really all of the Reggie Evans experience needed was, you know, 15 rebounds. He could go 0 and 15, like zero points, 15 boards, and you were cool. Any buckets are, are, are great. And it seems like, you know, Brissett has at least a little bit of chemistry with like Terrence Davis and stuff. And it seems like uh, maybe there's a role for him, not when everyone gets healthy, but for the next little while here, especially as Rondé seems to be kind of in the doghouse a little bit. Um, watching Brissett. It's it's not entirely doom and gloom. Thinking of 15 minutes a game for O'Shea Brissett, which I did not think would be the case when all these injuries took place, and that became a possibility for the Raptors. Uh, Vivek, let's move on to the OKC game. The mm-hmm. Raptors lose 98-97 to the Thunder last night in Toronto, second night of the back-to-back. A very uh, d- disjointed offensive game for both sides, <laughs> I guess. Kind of a weird game to watch, watching Chris Paul and Kyle Lowry just like do the Spider-Man meme thing back and forth. And Shea Gildas-Alexander is incredible. He's super smooth. He's super fun to watch and is going to be a damn problem for a very long time. He hits the game winner with about 35 seconds to go. Uh, just the ridiculous running off-glass floater, which I'm sure that's a shot that's normal to have in a repertoire. Um, what was your big takeaway from this one? I did not get to catch this game in its entirety. I was at like my fifth Christmas gathering in seven days, so I was about dead. Um, but watching this back this morning, I watched the fourth quarter. You know, the offense was not the takeaway from this one, I don't think. Uh, but what was your sort of overarching feeling coming out of that one? Yeah, I think there were maybe stretches where you felt like the Raptors should have pulled away and mm-hmm. didn't. Um, but then there were also stretches where when, you know, when Chris Paul was just completely manipulating them on the pick and roll coverage that you were thinking, Oh, the Raptors better be careful, careful here where this, you know, maybe gets to double digits and it is really, uh, out of hand. So, mm-hmm. um, it, it was that kind of, kind of game and, uh, the thunder wouldn't go away. The Raptors, uh, you know, frankly for me. They probably threw it away at the end. Um, the foul, the foul, the Terrence Davis foul thing. That is going to be a learning moment. He's he's not someone you expect to be on the court uh, when everyone's healthy in that mm-hmm. kind of situation. So it's going to be a learning moment for him. It was frustrating uh, live when it happened, obviously, 
but again, you know, I think at the end of the day, um, when you have Kyle, sort of, you know, Kyle basically has to be a superstar right now, um, and you know, even being an All Star is sort of that makes things tough for the Raptors. Uh, the bodies, you know, I think that that's going to be the difference. And so, even when you're going up against an OKC team that was without Schroeder, uh, that was without Gallinari, uh, it's just tough right now. Mm-hmm. The fact that McCaw starts and there's no real other option, you know, I, I think that says it all. The, the numbers game is just going to be tough on the Raptors more often than not, especially on the second night of a back-to-back. Yeah, it doesn't help when OG's missing all seven of his threes and you can't even really roll out a big lineup. I mean, they have like the four guards plus a Baca to close the game. Um, and look, Dar- Davis played well, and I think he kind of deserved to be in there in crunch time. He was stepping mm-hmm. through his threes with that, you know, trademark Terrence Davis confidence. And yep. like he was a big part of some of the stemming some of those tides, right? I think in the third quarter, he had those two threes back to back that really, I think it was kind of teetering a little bit. And then he hit those threes and, you know, he showed a little bit of juice in the, in the pick and roll as well. He, he had one beautiful pocket pass to a pocket that a pocket just missed the shot that he would hit nine times at the 10. And that, I think that was late in crunch time too. And so it's, yeah, it's probably not ideal to have a rookie out there in a situation where sort of high IQ and experience come into play. But I also think it's cool just like throwing him to the fire. This is the whole season, right? Is This is an experimental year. See what you can do, see who you can yes. move along. And I think Davis has been so far ahead of the curve that we kind of maybe overestimate him a little bit at times and sort of expect too much from him. And honestly, one of my favorite things this season has been watching Kyle Lowry get mad at Terrence Davis on the court. It happens at least once a game. It happened in the Boston game for sure on like a really bad transition breakdown. And then it happened again when Davis didn't foul right away. And like, you know, it's because Kyle sees something in him. I think at least that's what I'm choosing to believe. And he's like, come on, dude. He's like the disappointed dad. It's like, I know you're better than this. Um, So that's been fun. Uh, and, And so, yeah, I don't have like a huge problem with Davis being out there, especially with the way OG was playing. And I guess that leads me to sort of my biggest question coming out of this weekend. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Are you worried about OG at all? It's been kind of a bit of a slow stop and start sort of stretch for him. Even since he came back from the injury like a month ago, I guess it was now. It's not been as consistent or constantly exciting as it was before he got hurt. Where every night it seemed like he was setting new precedents for what he was able to do. Um, there, and there have been good games in there for sure. He had a couple nice games over the last, you know, couple weeks even. But are you concerned about OG at all in terms of his shooting coming back down to earth, or his ability with the ball in his hands, maybe being a little bit overstated? How are you feeling about OG? Because man, they would have been much better off last night, I think, if OG was able to be in that game as opposed to Terrence Davis. Right. Uh, so there's two things I want to hit on here. Uh, mm-hmm. But I want to preface that by saying, you know, he's still generally been very good defensively. Yes. Um, and the rebounding has definitely still continued to improve from last season. 
Um, now, the two things I want to hit on are, I think maybe that this, uh, what we're seeing now is just a bit of, he's not someone who's comfortable being better than a fifth or fourth option right now on offense. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, you talk about not really having it since even that Clippers game, let's face it. You know, you had Kyle Lowry and Serge Ibaka out for a bit. Now you've got this stretch where Siakam and Gasol and Norman Powell are out. And so I think you've got a bulk of games where um, you're asking him to be more than maybe he's not ready to be right now. And we've seen it on some drives again where it seems like he's sort of making it up as he goes along. Um and, you know, sometimes he's picking up these charges or turning the ball over. And uh, those are areas you want to see him develop in. And now is probably a good time for it to happen while these guys are out. So, again, there's going to be growing pains with all these guys, as you alluded to earlier. And the other thing I want to touch on is, you know, obviously there were things that affected OG's performance off the court uh, last season. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there were the injury stuff too. But I thought one of the things that impacted him as well was the fact that he was being asked to play the four. Yeah. And, uh, and now again, with these injuries over this last stretch, he's being asked to play the four. And I just don't think that's something he's necessarily suited to. Now against mm-hmm. the Thunder, outside of Steven Adams, it's not a huge lineup. So uh, I can see how that works. And then against Boston also, you know, it's a bunch of wings. So. Um, you know, maybe those two aren't the best examples of it. But I just think generally he's someone that is a small forward and he's at his best when he's playing that position. And hopefully once everyone is healthy, he will A, be playing <laughs> the small forward position and mm-hmm. B, uh, will be asked to be the fourth or fifth option where he will likely be more comfortable. Yeah, all good points. I think you could probably make the argument that the guy who's been most hurt by the lack of Marcus Saul is probably OG, just mm-hmm. because of all the things you mentioned. The fact that he has to slide down a position, the fact that you know when he's the second or third option in the lineup, he's probably the third behind Fred and Kyle. You know, or I guess you know he might just even be the fourth option, but it's just like a more burdensome fourth option, I suppose, when he's in that right. starting five. But I think. You know, it's kind of like Norm Powell syndrome, right? Where Norm's always been best, where he doesn't have to make too many decisions, and he's just not really thinking about it. He's just okay. There's a lane in front of me because the defense is compromised. I'm going to go attack it. That's always kind of been OG's bag too. And I also think just like the cutting and the the like the baseline cuts that like Gasol opens up and that he finds guys, you know, on with with his like or just passing from the elbows. That stuff is just not there right now, right? And so that's a big part of OG's game: the cutting and everything like that, which is not really we're not seeing it as much just because the the defense is not, you know, allowing those types of things because they have to, the way they're playing against the Raptors, you know, across the board, it has to be, it's just so much different, right? It's not, you know, so much, you're not scrambling as much to deal with the ball movement and, and what Gasol does spacing out and stuff like that. And it's just less pockets to, of space to seep into for a guy like OG, who's really damn good at seeping into those pockets of space. Um, I, I'm interested if maybe they try to use him as a screener a little bit more often, there were a couple instances early on when the injuries hit that they used him as the screener and he was able to sort of use his strength and, you know, go on the roll and, and make plays to the corner or just finish himself. And like, that was kind of interesting to me. They've kind of gone away from that a little bit as a Bach is pretty much setting every single screen, every time down. 
And I wonder if maybe that's a way to sort of get OG a little bit more actively involved in the offense and, you know, put him in a position to succeed because he does feel like a guy who can make smart reads in that situation. And maybe it's difficult because the space is that he provides is necessary. And, you know, Ibaka and Lacoste spacing out isn't really doing much for you. But I wonder if there may maybe ways they can sort of diversify the way they use him. Do you think that makes any sense? Uh Yes, it does. The only thing is, I think when Nurse considers his options, mm-hmm. I just feel like he probably looks at using Kyle as a screener as just mm-hmm. the more optimal option. Um, and you know, then Fred too. And in terms of, uh, you know, I, I I think what would be interesting is if if OG can sort of be that screener when uh, on those pin downs. And then make those duck-ins to the basket. I think that's something that could be effective for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's something I'd like to see more of. Uh, but yeah, I, I definitely think it's an option, uh, what, what you mentioned. I, I, I just don't know where Nurse ranks that on the uh, sort of the totem pole. Yeah. wants to go to. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and I'm with you. I think once everything kind of snaps back, he might be, like I said, the guy who benefits most from the return return of Gasol, which we're not sure when the hell that's going to happen. Um, you know, the report over the weekend was that Norm traveled with the team and is the closest of the three to returning, which is a little alarming considering it seemed like his injury was the most serious and there's already a precedent for him missing 21 games with the same injured shoulder last year. And so it's a little alarming that we're not hearing anything about Gasol or Siakam doing anything on the court, but um they're doing a pretty good job of negotiating it for now (laughs) and what they're like three and three i guess since all the injuries took place that's probably about where you would have pegged them especially with a pretty tough week on the schedule things get a little bit easier as we go ahead here there's the Cavs on new year's eve i think they play the heat later this week and then it's pretty light for much of january and i think i saw some metric somewhere where they have the easiest remaining schedule or one of the easiest remaining schedules in the league so mm-hmm. hopefully a bit of a reprieve coming there over the course of january into february but hopefully the guys are back by then um but the, i think all told you'd have to give them a pretty high grade on how they've negotiated this very very condensed six game stretch since the injuries happened uh so two thumbs up all the way around any other parting shots here Vic, before we wrap this thing up no, no. Hopefully, get a good uh, home win to close out the decade. Mm-hmm. Move on to twenty twenty. Uh, you know, kind of fitting. Beat the beat the Cavs to end the decade. Yeah, I mean, losing to the Cavs to end the decade would also be kind of fitting, I suppose. Well, yeah, <laughs> very fair. <laughs> very fair. <laughs> um, either way, it will be a fitting end to uh, the best damn decade we've ever seen. I guess there's only been two and a half of them for the Raptors, but. Uh, no, no question, the best one. Um, one other note that I had is the Thunder might be my second favorite team in the league now. Shea is so damn good, and there's such like a... I mean, I, I've always been a Chris Paul apologist, and I've always enjoyed him, and I don't understand the, the vitriol that's directed towards him all the time. And so getting to see him in this like low-stakes environment on this weirdo team where it's like him and a bunch of gangly, bizarre freaks and Steven Adams, who's also a bizarre freak himself, uh, it, it's, it's very endearing. I'm enjoying the Chris Paul experience this season very much, and it was nice to see uh, as much as you know he picked apart the Raptors to the tune of 25 and 11 last night or whatever it was. 
uh, very cool to see him thriving and turning a Thunder team that was supposed to be pretty bad into the seven seed in the Western Conference. It's they're 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 frisky, man. And they were, did that last night with a couple guys out of the lineup too. So um, good stuff all around. If you're going to lose to a team, that's a noble team to lose to. And if you're going to lose to a team, losing to a Hamilton boy is pretty cool uh, in my books. So uh, I think we'll wrap it there. This was fun, dude. It was nice to catch up. Thanks for uh, everyone dealing with my absence for most of last week. Like I said, we're going to have a full slate of podcasts this week. Um, we're going to record one with Katie a little bit later on. We're going to do a Serge Ibaka episode. Pascal Siakam was on How Hungry Are You? So we're going to dive deep into that. That should be a blast. We are also going to do a very weird and fun podcast later this week probably drop on thursday myself and kelsey o'brien are going to do a rupaul's drag race and toronto raptors comparisons podcast we have this insane dm going it started when we were at the 905 game on uh on saturday and we noticed how long devin robinson's legs are and it reminded us of one of the drag queens from one of the seasons of rupaul's drag race and now we're going to do a full podcast about it because why the hell not that will be how we bring in the new year with either uh, either on Wednesday or Thursday, so keep an eye out there. Vivek, anything that you would like to promote? Um, you can just look out for my work in 2020. I am currently working on a Shea Gilgis Alexander feature uh, for Complex, and so you can look out for that soon, hopefully. And yeah, besides that, you can find myself on Raptors Republic. You can follow me on Twitter at VivekMJacob. Amazing, dude. Uh, looking forward to that Shea feature. But all your work is fantastic. So keep an eye out. Big year for Big V coming. I'm feeling it. Uh, you can <laughs> find me uh, at Woodley Sean. Subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff. Please subscribe uh, to all the Locked On podcasts as well. There's a show for your team, most likely, uh, the minus a few exceptions that we're working on right now. But if you are a football, basketball, hockey, college, baseball fan, you uh, are most certainly covered with a daily show covering your team. And it's a great way to get the most local, in-depth perspective on your favorite teams. Uh, that's going to do it. Please uh, tune back in tomorrow as we talk about how hungry are you with Katie. Thanks for listening. And we will talk to you next time with another episode of Locked on Raptors. Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.